Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, September 13, 2018. Today we're reading from the Big Book, Chapter 8, and we're at page 111, the fifth paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Ann K., 12 traditions, Jody E. Q., and reading the text are Deborah S., Naomi B., and Maura Z. The reference numbers for Wednesday, September 12th, are 7 a.m., 11,907, that's 11907, and 10 a.m. is 11,908, that's 11908. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne Kay to read the 12 steps. This is Anne Kay from North Carolina. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I could say food. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and I our can't lives. hear her. If you're on speaker, could you please get off the of speakerphone, Anne? Thank you. Anne, can you continue? Katie, I'd be glad to do that if you'd want me to. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. Please continue. I think yeah, she was on you, three. Yeah, I'm a little... Three. Uh, where were we, do you know? On three, please. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. <laughs> Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
10 continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11 sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12 having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Janet. I will now ask Jody E.Q. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jody E.Q., gratefully recovering in California. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jody. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or so um, from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, 
everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're in chapter eight, Two Wives, and we're on page 111, the fifth paragraph. And um, we'll be reading through six paragraphs, ending in his recovery may be delayed. And we'll be commenting on all six paragraphs. And I will ask Devorah S. to begin reading. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much. My name is Devorah and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. When a discussion does arise, you might suggest he read this book or at least a chapter on alcoholism. Tell him you've been worried, though perhaps needlessly. You think he ought to know the subject better as everyone should have a clear understanding of the risk he takes if he drinks too much. Show him you have confidence in his power to stop or moderate. Say you do not want to be a wet blanket. That you have only want that you only want him to take care of his health. Thus, you may succeed in interesting him in alcoholism. He probably has several alcoholics among his own acquaintances. You might suggest that you both take an interest in them. Drinkers like to help other drinkers. Your husband may be willing to talk to one of them. If this kind of approach does not catch your husband's interest, it may be best to drop the subject. But after a friendly talk with your husband will usually revive the topic himself. This may take patient waiting, but it'll be worth it. Meanwhile, you might try to help the wife of another serious drinker. If you act upon these principles, your husband may stop or moderate. Suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. The same principles which apply to number one should be practiced. But after his next binge, ask him if he would really like to get over drinking for good. Do not ask that he do it for you or anyone else. Just would he like to? The chances are he would. Show him your copy of this book and tell him that you have found out about alcoholism. Show him that as alcoholics, the writers of the book understand. Tell him some of the interesting stories you have read. If you think he will be shy of a spiritual remedy, ask him to look at the chapter on alcoholism. Then perhaps he will be interested enough to continue. If he is enthusiastic, your cooperation will mean a great deal. If he is lukewarm or thinks he is not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. The seed has been planted in his mind. He knows that thousands of men, just like himself, have recovered. But don't remind him of this after he has been drinking, or he may be angry. Sooner or later, you are likely to find him reading the book once more. Wait until repeated stumbling convinces him he must act. For the more you hurry him, the longer his recovery may be delayed. Wow, there's a lot of information here in these paragraphs. And um, I'm just thinking back to the days when I was um, out of control with the eating. and. Um, People around me wanted to help me. And, um, you know, I, I called it the speech because I used to get these speeches all the time, the speech. And um, they were really very meaningful. They, they really cared. I mean, you know, crying to me and they were concerned. And, but no one had a solution. Nobody had a book to show me. Nobody could tell me from their own experience you know, what, what, what's going to happen to me if I continue doing what I'm doing. Nobody was able to share personal experiences. I mean, 
even people on the street would just stop me, you know, and say, you know, don't you have to lose weight? You know, don't you want to, you know, and nobody really, you know, nobody was able to teach me and show me what it, what I could do um, to maintain, um, to get abstinent and to keep it, to keep it and to get recovered. Um, so how privileged we are for this information in this book that, that, this, that, that we, we have a way to help another person. Um, and, and, and honestly, you know, I have to say, you know, after I got into program and I started working this, you know, I wanted to help my husband. So um, I know he loves books and he's a great reader. So I gave him this book. Um, I said, here, well, you know, I know you like books. Try reading this. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, I didn't preface it with any, you know, anything. I just said, would you like to read this book? And honestly, he took it and he skimmed through it and he didn't really look at it. And, um, you know, it's only years later that there was some kind of, that he developed an interest. So it has to be, you know, there has to be timing as well. There also has to be, be see enough pain and suffering, uh, uh, from the other person to really get their interest and to and to see if they really really want this thing, um, and um, and and you know I love the line that it says you know the the you know if they're not interested you know just leave them alone the time will come you have planted that seed you know the seed has been planted and that's all we can do you know is is plant that seed and to know that they and and to sh and to be available for them, you know, when they want the answer to to to, to lead them in that direction. Um, and um, so, I wish I would have known all this information. And now that I do have it, you know, there are plenty of people out there in my family who I can, you know, help in this manner. Time um, with, and um, and hope that you know, that seed can be planted as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Deborah S. So if you've just joined us, um, where we started at the bottom of page 111, when a discussion does arise, reading through six paragraphs, ending on page 113, where it says, hurry him the longer his recovery may be delayed. Now, who would like to share on these paragraphs? Lisa B. Lisa B. Star Naomi one to unmute. Naomi B. Sandy S. Sandy S. Someone C. Connie. Connie. Jody E. Q. Jody E. Q. Okay, I can take one or two more. Harlan G. Barbara Harlan E. And Barbara E. Okay, let's stop there. Okay, I have Lisa B, Naomi B, Sandy S, Connie C, Jody E Q, Harlan G, and Barbara E. Go ahead, please, Lisa B. Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and thank you so much for your service and the reader and her share. I wasn't going to share on this, but all of a sudden this thing just popped in my head, and I think it, it may be helpful you know, to others that are out there. They might identify 
So I I thought that this was a problem I suffered with at one time, but that it wasn't an issue anymore, you know. And it had gone underground. And the way it showed the, the chronic progressive and totality of this illness for me was the spiritual malady, just the emotional unhappiness, the emotional imbalance in my life, and maybe occasional problems with the food. You know, the food was still an issue, but I just didn't think it was an issue. I kept thinking it was outside issues. So I was standing in an AA meeting, and I walked into what I thought was an AA meeting, but um, there was a food meeting in another fellowship. It wasn't OA. It was a different fellowship that at one time I had dabbled in in Florida when I used to live there. And the girl that was there, the woman that was there, I knew her from the AA meeting, um, I said, oh, I used to go here and I even went to treatment, you know, for my compulsive eating, but I don't have that problem <laughs> anymore. That was the level of denial I had. And they began playing podcasts from A Vision for You, and I heard for the very first time recovered compulsive overeaters. I didn't think we could recover from this illness. I really didn't. I thought it was just something you just dealt with and wrestled with. But I began to get disturbed. And that's what I'm hearing in this reading. And there are such clear-cut directions, you know, in these paragraphs that we read that I can remember to try and carry the message this way to prospective um, prospects that I work with or newcomers that call me. You know, um, it's really my goal is to plant a seed and hopefully disturb them. And that's what happened to me. Um, I heard compulsive overeaters that were recovered sharing what happened to them. And it wasn't their drunk or their food that enticed me. It was the sanity and the stability and the freedom that I heard in their voice. And I realized I had no clue. I never worked with anyone that was properly armed with the facts about themselves, you know. And today I am recovered, and I'm grateful that I got disturbed, that that seed was planted from the Vision for You podcast. And I'm so grateful to be here in OA, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, Naomi B., you're up, followed by Sandy S. Hi, thank you. Good morning. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Well, all I could say is I didn't know what I didn't know. And I even went as far as having the lap band surgery. Well, that band should have been put around my brain because that's where my, my obesity really came from. And thankfully, God sent an Ebby Thatcher into my home. And I attended my first OA meeting. And I walked into that meeting, and it was like, where am, where did I land? Where is the scale? Why are there skinny people here? And then they hand me a book about alcohol. Well, I might have had like two pina coladas in a year. My my problem was not drinking. My problem was food. I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. They cracked open this big book, and I remember sitting in the in my car after the meeting and thinking to myself, "How do these people know what I do with food?" I had no clue. And thank you, God. The first paragraph, the first chapter that I read was this last story in the in the big book, and and the chapter that I got the gold ring. I read I read the chap the paragraph on the resentment paragraph. And it, I just sat there and cried because that was me. That was me with all the food and, and even with the lap band. Okay, I couldn't have a, a huge bowl of something, but I could have two or three because I'm a food addict. Thank you, God, that's not the case today. And I have the honor of planting the seed. That's all I can do, share my experience, strength, and hope with how God has worked in my life and trudging this road of happy destiny with my fellows in this 
program is gold. I'm 71 years young, and it's like I have my whole life ahead of me. And thank you, God, I cracked open this book and followed the clear-cut directions. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi. Okay, Sandy S., you're up, followed by Connie C. Hi, thanks. Thanks for your service. Sandy S. from Asheville. I think what stood out for me is the seed has been planted in his mind. And uh, that's what happened to me. I went to my first OA meeting in 1974 and became abstinent in 1976 because the seed had been planted in my mind. And what happened was I was binging and throwing up in OA. And I remember I'd come to, to the meeting, throw up in the bathroom, and then just go into the meeting. And this woman said to me, her name was Gloria, I said, you know, I feel nothing for no one or anything. I mean, I really didn't. It's it just food. I said, I love food. And she said to me, Sandy, that's because nothing coexists with compulsive overeating. She says, either you're going to have the compulsive overeating or you're going to experience love. And that was a seed planted in my mind that led to my being recovered today. And what happened for me, which I shared before, I had this spiritual experience where I was just hugging this guy. I said, what were you doing while hugging? And I felt this love, a light, go from his heart to mine. It was definitely a spiritual experience that has changed my life. And I had this thought, this is better than food. This is what Glory was talking about. I can't have this and have the food. And that was it. I was done. I was done at that moment. And nothing can ever budge me from choosing love over food. Food can never, ever give me. It it wasn't even the pain. There was no bottom that was bottomless enough for me. It wasn't pain. The pain of food just couldn't lead to my recovery. For me, my individual experience, it had to be something that surpassed food. And God that I have difficulty believing in, trust me, has, has granted me this psychic transformation. I have no idea why it occurred, why I deserved it. It just happened. But I know that once it happens, I am doing everything in my power to experience God consciousness because while I know that I am powerless over food, it is in, I can't even say it is branded in me, it has been a real challenge for me to trust and believe that there's a high, caring higher power. I want to say this vision group has just been fundamental to my recovery and to psychic transformation. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sandy. Okay, Connie C., you're up, followed by Jody E.Q. Can you give Good us morning. a page, please? I will in just a moment. Go ahead, please, Connie. Okay. Good morning. This is Connie C., compulsive overeater, recovering in Tennessee. And um, like other fellows have said, what has stayed out, what stands out to me so much is this adjusting, you leave them alone and avoid the urging. And the seed has been planted. And um, back in June, I found my way back here after 22 years and relapse and coming and going many, many times. And um, Today I'm in a town, not my hometown, and um, 
in two hours, I take someone I love very much to treatment. And as I've sat here this morning doing my pages and and um, beginning this wonderful time with vision that I, I so cherish, um, just praying, you know, what words, because I've been asked to come in for the beginning of it, and and I don't know what they'll ask, but um, just that the words just be in faith that that seed has already been planted, that because I got into recovery, this person I cherish and has watched the last 22 years of my life, That's the she's the original reason why I went <clears throat> into treatment in a way a long time ago, just that it be directed and what a difference it is to step away from the desperation I had felt for so long seeing um, where she was and not seeing in what was going on with myself. So I just pray so much that um, words be guided and knowing that we're called to plant a seed, not grow a tree, as a dear friend um, told me that whatever comes up, whatever is said, that is all out of love, that is its most simple form, and to know that the work's already being done um, just by being who I'm called to be and others around her. So um, with that, I give so much gratitude because to sit in a place like this and be taking really good care of myself is a miracle that in my life I could have never imagined. And I um, give much of that love and credit to the voices brave and willing to share their hearts here every day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Connie. And if you're just joining us, we are at the bottom of page 111. When a discussion does arise, and we read through six paragraphs, ending on page 113, hurry him the longer his recovery may be, delight, may be delayed. Okay, so now we have Jody EQ, followed by Harlan G. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. This is Jody EQ with a cold in California. So, I, yeah, this... This discussion of number two, alcoholic number two, is not unlike the others, really. We never know when someone is going to be ready, when the soil is going to be the right temperature, and the climate is going to be just right for the seed to sprout. Uh, In my case, I was given a big book. That was my introduction to the 12 steps by my alcoholic brother, And the seed took root, it really did. Right away, I could relate to the alcoholic. But it's it's taken a long time for me to fully understand and grasp these steps and to actually work them all. I'm finding that after 30 years, I still have amends that I have not made. So it takes what it takes. But I'm just grateful that I realized that today. I similarly gave this book to another brother who I thought had an alcohol problem and he promptly threw it right into the trash. And I still think he has an alcohol problem, but he doesn't, I don't think. And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't know. Only uh, we as addicts, alcoholics, compulsive overeaters know if we have a problem and want to do something. We have to choose. We have to decide that we want to do something about it. It's great, though, to know that this program exists. It's great to hear recovered voices 
certainly is. And for that, I am so grateful to this group because I hear them on a daily basis. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jody. I hope you feel better. Okay, Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Barbara E. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for your service. And thank you to all of Team Thursday for making this wonderful meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in steam bath sweltering Scottsdale, Arizona. Yesterday, I had a little bit of a picture of how lucky a man I am. I had to go to the grocery store yesterday, and um, I went in, and I was shopping, and there was a man and a woman standing at the deli counter. The man was probably 375 pounds, and the woman, I'm going to guess, was about 275 to 300. And they were commanding the 17-year-old behind the counter as to which samples to give them next to try. I was flooded with the knowledge that one block from where we were standing is one of the most powerful OA meetings in the greater Phoenix area. It's at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club. It is a big book meeting, and it's very strong. And I thought to myself, forget about these people. There's, I pray for them. But if I turn my back on my recovery, then I'm a fool. We have been talking about the different husbands, and we've been talking about the different types of addicts and, and all this, blah, 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 blah. Bottom line. I'm one of the lucky ones that knows that there's a recovery, that knows there's a book, that knows there's a program, that knows that this works. And yet me or and or millions like me will turn their back on this and return to the food. There but for the grace of God go I that I'm not standing at the deli counter commanding a 17-year-old as to which samples to give me next. Forget about the husbands and forget about the wives and all the rest of it. I need to remember that I am a compulsive overeater. I have an allergy of the body. I have a twist of the mind. And only a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps are going to make one smidgen of difference in that scenario. The only relief I have is a spiritual awakening. And I need to remember that today for me. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Holland. Okay, Barbara E., it's your turn, and then we'll open it up for more sharers. Go Good ahead, morning, Barbara. everyone. Good morning, and thank you, Katie F., for your service today. Um, wow. Youth fades, but immaturity lingers. I can see now this chapter from the perspective of the addict, the wife, and the mother, when before I had trouble with the whole chapter. For me, as the addict, the craving, the obsession, the compulsion, the binge, the remorse, the resolution, the weight gain, followed by loss, followed by weight gain, 
my health, my physical health, my mental health deteriorating. I had trouble maintaining our relationships. I had trouble getting around. I overreacted to criticism. I needed immediate gratification uh, for getting the pain and consequences of my overeating. If the scale didn't show me, the bathroom scale, what I wanted to, it to, I would teach it a lesson and eat even more. And if it showed that I'd lost at the end of the month, I would say, aha, and eat even more. The scale wasn't my friend. Now as a mother, my son, his physical life, his mental life, his spiritual life has been impacted by his close to 400 pounds. He has trouble breathing. He can't pick something up off the floor. I can't preach to him or plead with him. I've learned that. I've tried that. It doesn't do any good. I eat what I eat. I measure my food. He sees what I'm doing. I have to turn his path over to God. My husband, he realizes he's gained too much weight. His legs and his feet are hurting. He has no energy. He's lacking in strength. We can't travel. I've told him of my concern because of my selfish desire to keep him safe. He knows it. I am not going to point a finger at him. He knows my feeling. He knows his issue. My son knows his issue. And God knows I know my issue. The good news is there's so much hope in this book, in, the, in these steps. If you're out there and you're suffering, this works. I don't know why it works. I know it works. And I'm a person who loves to follow directions. And the directions are in this book. I just have to open my ears and put the cotton in my mouth and stop talking and start listening. And as someone says, instead of saying, yes, but, say, yes, ma'am. I love that. This group is wonderful. Have a safe day to all you people down in the South. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. And so who else would like to share on these six paragraphs this morning? Ross M. Larry. Larry Larry. Larry M. Okay. Okay. Hold on one second. Ross. Ross. One moment. Okay. (laughs) The second group is always so much harder to write down. Okay. I have Russ, Larry, Charles, Leah. Vasa O. Roz. I think Roz was in there. And Vasa. And there was someone else. Roz G. Okay. There was someone else I missed. I thought. Janice PM. Was it me? Okay, I did not hear you. Janice, oh, I mean, okay, I heard no, something. No. no, I mean, I heard something. It probably was you. Okay, so let's go with Russ M, Larry K, Charles H, Leah M, Roz G, Vasa O, and Janice PM. Russ M, you're up. Morning, Katie. Good morning. Morning, morning, family. It's Russ M, cover compulsive overeater outside of Philly. So these, all these paragraphs here just remind me that I had such great examples such, you know, I, I was blessed even in this, uh, this crazy disease, you know, my wife never was forceful with me. She didn't even give me a hint. 
but she never sabotaged a meal when I was trying, when in self-will, you know what I mean? I know it was hurting her to see me destroy my body. More, any, more than anything, it was my, my emotional status, my emotional state that, you know, drove her really to an ultimatum, which she didn't want to do, right? Um, but what brought me to my knees was being brought to my knees, being battered, eating, and destroyed. I didn't eat enough. I didn't suffer enough. There wasn't enough pain. Until there was, that's when I could make a change. Because I knew I had a problem. I always knew I had a problem. You know, faulty emotional appeal, right? It seldom, seldom suffices. You know, family members, mothers. One of my best buddies, one a blood brother, my guy broke me into the wrestling business. Says, look, I love you. Say he never said love you to anybody. He said, Russ, I love you. You're, you're really getting heavy. You got five kids. You got to get your health together. I knew he was right, but I couldn't stop. I could not stop until I was crushed, broken, and beat up until it was over, until I was done, until I had no other option. So now, being recovered by God's grace, being blessed enough to, to be able to have this beautiful program, I know, you know, I have an idea how to approach someone else, or not even approach them, just try to, you know, Harlan says it, you know, uh, preach the gospel if necessary, these words. That's, I say preach the gospel, I preach the, the big book. Live the big book, live it, live it, right? So maybe they see an example. If someone asks me, I try to help. I try to help. But I can't beat people over the head, which is my normal way of doing it. And uh, I had tremendous examples with my wife, you know, just, like, loving me to what, what, where I was until I was broken enough to come into this program and, and get this work done. You know, I was helpless. I, I You know, I was helpless. I even was hopeless, you know. I was in bad shape. But it was probably the best. I'm glad it was that way. I'm glad I'm a... A, a compulsive overeater. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm blessed by being this way, because uh, it's brought that space that's occupied was occupied in my heart by myself, my ego, my emotions, my greed, all my character defects is now being occupied by God because of this beautiful program. So, have a great day. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Russ. Okay, Larry K. You're up, followed by Charles H. Thanks, Katie. Uh, let's see here. Um, you know, I um, I have no patience to be a farmer. <laughs> I, I want to plant the seed in the morning. I want to, you know, collect the harvest by, you know, by noon, and I want to have more than my fill by the evening. You know, I, I'm, I, I was always the guy. I want to plan the vacation in the morning, and I want to be on the beach in the Bahamas later today. And I'll offer you love but you better acknowledge it and you better reciprocate it and you better do it immediately because that's what I need. You know, please validate me. Show me you love me by changing now on my terms. And see, when this is more about me, is I'm, you know, uh, even when I have good intentions, I want to convince you of something. Because if I don't convince you, I may not get the change that I want in you. And there's fear involved. And here, you know, we can learn about what our early pioneers came to realize, and it was, I think it was divine knowledge. When I try to be at the helm of things, trying to force or compel a change, it's going to backfire. And there's a time and a place for everything, for everyone. And I could push with all my might, 
but nothing's going to happen when I'm trying to be the director of the change, right? You know, we plant the seed. We show patient compassion. We water the plant appropriately, and we wait. And it's easier said than done because the truth is I want the plant to grow daily before my eyes. And in my desire to effectuate that change in you, I want to flood the plant with water and I want to yell at it, damn it, you know, grow. <laughs> and, and what if there's other forces at work? And there are. And maybe in life the signs we receive, the signs that guide us to where we need to be are not the on only the doors that are open, but also the ones that are closed. Sometimes there's, you know, when we learn in these, in these paragraphs, you know, we do all that we can do. And they're, they're speaking to the wives, to the partners here. But we got to let the, we got to plant the seed and we got to have patient compassion. I don't, I don't chase after anyone because I've accepted that there's a timing and a rhythm to this change. And not everyone's ready to embark on this practical program of action. And that's okay. I know this is in the chapter of working with others. It's to the wives. It's uh, kind of an Al-Anon sort of approach too, but it's really the same spiritual guidance. It's the same stuff. I don't need to be validated today. I can, I can plant the seed, let it grow. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Charles H., you're up, followed by Leah M., Um, how you doing? My name is Charles H. I'm calling from Colorado. Thank you, KBF, for your service. Um, it's so many, you know, where I live at in New York, um, there's so many people like me that ain't trying to hear anything about, you know, about OA. They ain't trying to hear it. Matter of fact, to keep it real with you, there's so much people in OA in New York ain't trying to hear about the big book. Um, so imagine me trying to plant a seed through a, a, a steel um, floor. It just it just ain't gonna it, it ain't gonna mess right. It ain't gonna work. I can't force doing that. I'll be such a jackass trying to do that, right? Um, yeah, the people don't you you know. It, it reminds me of, um, it reminds me of going somewhere. Um, it reminds me of going to McDonald's to preach to somebody. They ain't trying to hear it, and it's just a waste of time. This reminds me of working with others and trying to working with others only work when others want to work with others. Like it, it's like there's no. Um, there's no harvest to get if I'm trying to self-inflict the harvest. You know, um, Lois told Bill, you know, Lois told Bill, you're staying sober. Stop trying to drag people out the bar. Stop trying to preach to people, period, whether it's in McDonald's or, 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 um, or Friendly's or wherever. People are going to be people, Right. Just remember a half an hour before we got in to program, we would, I, I would probably punch somebody in the face. You trying to tell me to back away from them three Big Macs? I love Big Macs, you know, and nobody was going to stop me from getting my Big Macs or my large fries or my shakes. And I only turned my nose up because you know what? 
people don't know, and unfortunately, um, many people are going to die not knowing about Overeaters Anonymous. And many people are going to die knowing about Overeaters Anonymous and knowing that the book works. They know the book works. They ain't trying to hear it. There's people that are on the line right now that come on the line every single day and can't stand the big book, but they think they're going to get it by just hanging out. And it ain't going to work. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Okay, Leah M., you're up, followed by Roz G. Thank you very much for your service. You know, in reading these paragraphs this morning, I take notice of statements like, this may take patient waiting, but it will be worth it. Wait until repeated stumbling it convinces he must act. And all I have to do is look at my own personal experience. I mean, I happened to attend my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting on a Friday night when I was 19 years of age in 1982. A couple of you were in that room uh, at the time. Um, My disease had already at that point uh, created deterioration on all levels of my life, certainly emotionally, physically, mentally, morally, spiritually. I was bankrupt in all those areas. Um, But I wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't ready and perhaps, uh, you know, (laughs) a message, you know, wasn't being carried like I'm hearing today, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready, and already at that point, the disease had stripped me of self-esteem and self-worth and dignity and decency and integrity and honesty and pride long before I even got to that Overeaters Anonymous meeting. It had taken it all. (laughs) I had been stripped of that. That's how voracious my disease was. It took five more years of this disease um, for me to be beaten to a pulp, and the disease eventually, in January of 1987, had done its job. I resigned from the debating society. I was no longer arguing about powerlessness. I was no longer confused about unmanageability. I had no difficulty (laughs) with the uh, term insanity. I was done. The disease had done its job. And, you know, that lesson, that reflection is... is, uh, you know, profound for me in working with others, in that willingness is a one-person job. That's it. I cannot, I can, I can share uh, a story of transformation, but I cannot make someone uh, work this program of recovery. You know, and, 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 you know, if you ate like me, past the point of no longer uh, seeking, you know, getting that ease and comfort, n- you experience a new understanding of terror and of hopelessness and of desperation, and you're ready. And, you know, that's the story of addiction. You may have a different story. It may be over many decades, or you may function well for a long period of time, or it might be fast like me. But sooner or later, we all sit feeling empty and hopeless and done. And the only thing that could lift me out of that hell was the grace of God. I had been beaten into a state of reasonableness, and I was ready for this program of recovery to be poured into me, a relationship with God, um, and and restored to sanity. And that's my story. And with that, I pass. Thanks.
Thank you, Leah M. Okay, Roz G, you're up, followed by Vasa O. Good morning. My name is Roz G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Los Angeles. And I was just thinking, how am I going to share on this? I wanted to share this morning. And, well, I'm the only one in my immediate family that that practices the big book. And um, my dad does, but he's like in another state and I hardly ever see him. But, I mean, I'm the only one. And nobody in my family could, um, could really help me. I had two thin sisters. And they could eat whatever they wanted and um, stay thin, and I could not. And um, my family tried to help me in various ways, um, but, of course, you know, it didn't work. And when I, you know, stepped into my first OA meeting on a Monday morning on January 2nd, trying to do a New Year's resolution, um, I'll never forget it. And they were kind, and they nodded their heads understanding how I felt but there was no big book there I don't remember have you know seeing one um and and there were big books in in you know subsequent meetings but they were really never opened and studied um and then finally somebody did come and share a big book message and it took it took a long time for me to really get this message and so for me, it just took what it took, a lot of pain and suffering, as the book says. <laughs> but I feel as though I've earned my seat through the, humiliate, through the humility, the lessons in humility. I'm grateful for them. So as I turn around and, and, and look at this on other people, I have, you know, two kids, one especially my son. You know, my son was so, so thin and, on, you know, on the track team and cross country and I thought, oh, you know, my son, it looks like he's not going to have this problem. But, you know, as the years pass by, my son's in love with Carl's Jr. He goes there all the time. He's gained so much weight. He's got this big pot belly. And, he, you know, now he, all he wears is sweatpants and just shirts to cover his belly. And um, there's Carl's Jr.'s wrapper, you know, all over his room filling up the trash cans. He hides pizza boxes in the, the, the dumpsters outside. And um, looking at pictures of him make me, they make me upset. But all I can do is just be a a beacon. I mean, I've got big books, all kinds of big books around the house. I'm, I'm not trying to push it on anybody. I just happen to have different copies in different rooms. And there's, I just can just be an example because I'm either on the phone with a sponsee or I'm on different meetings or talking to another compulsive overeater or going to a meeting. I'm... Thank you. So just just to wrap up by saying that I, I identify with this and all I can do is be an example. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Roz. Okay, Vasa O, you're up, followed by Janice PM, and we have four minutes. So if you could each take two minutes, that would be very uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you, Katie, for your service. I'm Vasa. Grateful, recovered, compulsive obedience. Good to be here with all of you. And I had enough pain and suffering in my life, and I was ready to hear the message. I'm so grateful that one of my friends uh, introduced me to Overeaters Anonymous. 
And she was also OANAA, and she gave me the big book. Well, I came in October 25th, 1986, and in those days we didn't have as much literature, OA literature. So I became the follower of the big, big book. And I remember saying to her, well, I'm not an alcoholic. Why do I have to do this? She just cross alcohol and put food, food in, in, replace it with food. I am just so grateful. I never, never thought in my whole life I'd ever put the food down and I would have the life that I have today. And I did to pass, I, I wanted to pass it to everybody, believe me. I did bring two of my brothers into our way. It wasn't for them. I gave my father the big book, and then I brought the big book to my, my, my other brother in Macedonia when I went on vacation. My father brought it back to me, and he said he was not an alcoholic, and he didn't need it. He was functional alcohol, you know. He was functional, but that's okay. And when I went back for the second time to the old country, I was looking for the book. I couldn't find it. I just hoped maybe somebody else grabbed it, or maybe my brother threw it away. He died. He died of the uh, the drug addiction and alcoholism. And I'm just so grateful. Again, I'm here, all of you. I've been here for many, many, many years, and this is the only thing that has worked for me. Follow the direction. Just follow the directions, and that's what I do. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you. Okay, Janice, it's your turn. Well, thank you so much, KDF. This is Janice PM, Recovered Compulsive Overeater here in Massachusetts. You know, um, (laughs) in the 80s, uh, my brother, who was a um, recovered alcoholic, in attending meetings, and of course, and he gave me the big book. Talk about planting a seed. However, however, he says, Janice, all the answers are in this big book. Oh, I said, good. Now, my mind went right to my thinking, which was so twisted because I wasn't recovered then, and I was going to get all the answers so I could fix you. (laughs) Little did I know that this book was for me. And, you know, it started way back before I even got this book that the lack of control was my problem whether it was with my food or whether it was with my husband or whether it was with gambling, that's the problem. And I'll always have the problem of lack of control with whoever it is, whatever it is. The only thing is the the food convinced me and uh, my life was unmanageable. That that convinced me I got to do something about this because my mind was so twisted. But what a lesson here, isn't it? Such an experience and all the things that I heard today. Uh, Did I want recovery? Yes. Or did I just want to get abstinence? See, a lot of people, like it was said, they don't want recovery. And I can't give anything to anybody because nobody could give it to me. So it is about the power. I was always wanting to have the power to change you, to fix you, to fix myself, um, to manage my own life. Can't do it. That's the problem, not the food manifested in food. But these are the directions for us through this chapter, wonderful directions, and it's only through the grace of God in these steps that I can think, you know, think like that, that I can plant a seed, that my mind is a garden, you know. My mind is a garden. 
Thank you, Dawn. Thoughts of my seeds, I will harvest either flowers or weeds. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kate. Thank you, Janice. Okay, um, thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Thursday, September 13th, is 11,912. That's 11912. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 180, I'm sorry, 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Naomi B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. I'm here. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggested only. <clears throat> we realize we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation, <clears throat> excuse me, what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you Trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.